Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Company's podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each episode showcases one of Davy's certified arborists sharing advice with everyone about caring for your trees and landscapes. We'll talk about everything from introduced pests, seasonal tree care, deer damage, how to make your trees thrive, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. Welcome back to what I'm calling Lawnapalooza. <laughs> Everything you need to know about growing a great lawn with Zane Roddenbush, turf grass and herbicide specialist from the Davy Tree Expert Company. Now in part one, we covered watering, choosing the right grass and more. For part two, I'm picking it up with the importance of good soil. So in the case of a, a new lawn that's been put in where they have this awful soil, and I see this as often as you do, from your standpoint, what is the solution? Do you have to start new or do you start improving the soil? What's the, what's the key there? That's a great question, Doug. I, and that's a, that's a bit of a loaded question because even, even myself, this is something I have quickly, uh, there's a real interest in our company to, to come up with services that, that remediate that because ultimately um, the quality will continue to suffer that we are not going to be able to get the, the quality up until that piece is addressed, that the soil is addressed. And so how do we go about that? There probably depends on what we might see. So we'd first pull a soil test, determine what it is that we're working with, you know, to get the physical properties and the chemical properties of the soil. And from there, we might be able to just modify it through the use of like top dressing material, top dressing, some type of compost, a compost biochar material. Um, but Sometimes it needs to be more aggressive than that. And we would, you know, maybe see that there are places where you actually should come in and, and introduce a significant amount of material, work that into the soil. I, I would do that as a very last case scenario. One, I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of coming in and disturbing the soil. It totally disturbs the weed seed bank and you can end up with a lot of issues thereafter. So, you know, in the immediate would be to begin coming in and top dressing. And that's where we spread a layer, you know, a quarter to a half inch of material of some type of rich organic material could be, and this is where we're talking about where we're going to source that material. But over time, that's going to build up the organic matter in the soil and help to sustain um, better plant material. But yeah, it's it's a real challenge, you know, to have a conversation with a customer to explain that I'm really sorry, but your soil here is real is poor, and unfortunately, um, we aren't miracle workers. We will never be able to grow really thick turf in an area like this just simply because uh it's cement you know in the summer months that subsoil literally sets up like cement and i don't care how much water you pour on there or how much fertilizer you pour on there without that uh you know the basis of of what that plant needs underneath there you're you're fighting a losing battle there y yes you're, you're spot on doug i mean yeah been doing this for a long time but you, you always kind of come back to those basic fundamentals of you know soil species sunlight and you know if the soil piece isn't correct um it's a real challenge and and i actually find a lot of times it's a it's the most easily overlooked you know i get my soil probe out and we start going along going through yards and i'm pulling soil samples and showing them that you know, they maybe only have a half inch of dark topsoil and the rest of it is a heavy blue clay. You know, all of a sudden the light, you know, the light bulbs go off and people are like, wow, I never, 
I never thought about that out of sight, out of mind. I mean, we're all susceptible to that in all parts of our life, you know, with other things. Um, but yes, you cannot, you cannot underestimate the importance of quality soil as it relates to, to rearing, particularly turf grass plants. So you talked about cutting the, the grass. What is the proper height and, and why does that matter? Great question. And, you know, the height of cut is not a stagnant thing. Um, you know, what you start at as a height of cut in the spring is not what you will be at in the middle of summer and what you will be at in the fall. As a general theme, Doug, uh, we can't get our customers to mow the yards high enough. You would you'd be blown away by what a benefit in the summer months there is to raising the mowing height. Uh, somewhere between three to four inches for most of our cool season grasses. So in the summer months, if you haven't done it already, you know, take the mower up a notch or two. And um, one, you'll see that you can often reduce the frequency of mowing um, through that piece in the summer months that, you know, we just don't need to mow as frequently during the summer because the growth isn't there. But why is that beneficial? Uh, we have more leaf area to capture to capture sunlight. Um, and you know, that's where the plant's making its food. So you have to picture sunlight is being absorbed through the leaf tissue. In that leaf tissue, they're converting that sunlight through the splitting of water to make sugars. And so if you have a really finite amount of leaf tissue, you can only make so much sugars. And so uh, by increasing the mowing height, you increase the area with which sunlight can be absorbed by the plant uh, to make sugars. And it just, it creates an overall uh, healthier plant system. And so um, it's been a well-studied, well-documented thing that uh, it's one of the most basic cultural practices that you learn in any turf grass science class. When, as a general rule of thumb, when turf grass plants get stressed, increasing the mowing height is a is a one of the first steps. Doesn't matter if it's on a golf course putting green, a sports field, a home lawn. Uh, that when plants get stressed, a general rule of thumb is if you increase the mowing height, you'll see some reduction typically in that stress, and so. What is the ideal mowing height in the summer months? You know, three to four inches. And then another thing that I see is in the spring is the mowing frequency. And so mowing frequency is not a stagnant piece either. Um, many of us have learned, unfortunately, uh, that, you know, if you're going to stick to the once a week mowing frequency in the spring, you'll be baling hay. And in the summer months, you're actually overstressing the lawn. And so mowing frequency is another thing that can shift. So in the spring months, you really would be doing your lawn a favor if you could mow it every four to five days. It'll increase the density. It'll uh, decrease the leaf texture, make a finer leaf texture. And so um, I hope that answered questions. In general, what should the mowing height be? In the summer months, you should be raising your mowing height somewhere between that three to four inches. And then in the spring and the fall, staying closer to that three-inch mark. I, I don't see any real reason to go below three inches, unless there is a, a reason that you really like that look. Sometimes, you know, the warm season grasses, Bermuda grass, zoysia grass, uh, they like to be mowed shorter. And so if you're somebody from the South who has moved up to the Pittsburgh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know, in this area, um, don't mow your grass at the same height you did when you lived, you know, down in, in North Carolina, because you'll see that it's just, it's really, really tough on our cool season grasses. And then uh, talk a little bit about the importance of uh, the right tool, sharp a sharp mowing blade when you're cutting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, 
mowing is a stress. I mean, we are, you are wounding the plant. And so I always talked when I was a professor at Ohio State, I always told my students, you know, if you were going to go in for uh, knee surgery, do you want the surgeon to have a brand new sharp scalpel or, you know, one that's done 500 patients before you? And so I know that that's a bit of a crude kind of analogy, but the reality is um, you want a nice, uh, nice sharp blade to be able to to make a crisp cut. Otherwise, as you wound the plant, you expose more leaf tissue. It takes longer for that plant to repair itself. And so, you know, if you look across your yard and you see that kind of has a white tinge to it, and if you look closer at the leaves, you see um, like a stringiness off the tips. That, that's a great indication that, you know, that you're not, you may need to sharpen your blade. And another thing I see, Doug, is that, you know, these mowers, the decks are designed to create vacuum. So in the deck, they're creating a vacuum to kind of pull the leaf, to keep the leaf upright so we're not blowing it down. And I'm guilty of it too. You know, if you don't have a deck that's nice and clean, it's very common to not get the proper vacuum. And you're also not going to get a really great cut as well. So you know, making sure that the deck is clean and that the blades are sharp, um, you know, and, and right now, you know, if we've all had mowers that were serviced in the winter, had sharp blades coming out of spring, and you haven't sharpened your blade yet, uh, flip the mower over, take a look. There's a good chance that it needs sharpened right now. This would be a great time to do it as those plants are stressed. Get a nice sharp blade back on there. Um, you'd, you'd be impressed uh, the difference in quality. And we have some great photos, Doug, kind of showing, you know, areas managed with, you know, dull blades versus sharp blades. It's a staunch difference. It's unbelievable. So in my case, all I'm doing is I, I remove that blade and I take it to the hardware store. I guess in your case, being this uh, turf expert, you you know how to sharpen this blade yourself. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, for me, I take my blade off it myself and, you know, make sure that you practice some, some good procedures there. So when you tip your mower up, I always like to tip my mower so that the carburetor is on the upside. So typically, you know, if you look where your air filter is, you'll want that to be facing the sky so that it doesn't fill up with fuel. And then I also pull off. Uh, my spark plug wire to make sure that for whatever reason we if we wouldn't cause any ignition there i remove the blade and then a few things you want to do is use that blade's going to be covered in you know decayed caked on grass get a wire brush out and clean it off and inspect it okay want to make sure that there are no hairline cracks in the blade and then lay it on a flat surface okay that blade should be nice and flat it shouldn't be bowed um shouldn't be bent in any way and then you'll begin to put a new a new edge on it. And there are different tools. If you do this somewhat regularly, you can use a file. I don't, unfortunately, I know I'm a, I'm a victim of this too. You know, my blades get sharpened about three times a year. They probably could use more than that. But I use an angle grinder, trying to maintain somewhere between about a 40 to 45 degree angle. Sometimes I see people want to get a really thin, uh, you know, a really narrow angle, 10, 15 degree angle. And it is razor sharp. But the issue with that is there's no material at that edge to maintain an edge. So while it may be sharp, it's not going to maintain that edge for very long. So, you know, you want to keep the proper angle. And there are little bits that you can buy that go on the end of a drill to help maintain that proper, that proper angle. And so once you've sharpened it and you've got a good edge, then I like to balance it. You Not like to. You want to balance the blade. And the easiest way to do that is to just drive a nail into a stud 
and then hang your blade on that nail and you'll see that the blade will kind of uh, just like a balance the heavy side's going to flip to the bottom and then you'll just want to take more material off that side until it's balanced so oh, let me ex explain that then we're not talking like putting it flat like a turntable like for a rest. yes sorry we're, we're we're hanging it like how would you say like Perfect. Yeah, like if you were going to hang your coat on a coat rack, okay, you know, right. that nail is driven into the right, wall okay. and then you're going to hang your blade up on the wall and, and it should have the ability to rotate um, around. And, you know, the speed with which it drops will kind of give you an idea of how much material takes off. And again, these are the kind of things that if you don't do them, if you haven't done that before, don't, you know, don't lose a bunch of sleep over it. But next time you do, um, check the balance because if, the, if you end up, you know, if let's just say that you hit something with that blade and took a big nick out of it and you had to grind away a bunch of material on that side of the blade to reestablish that edge, you'll see that you've really changed the, the balance of the blade. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on the main bearing uh, and on the crank itself because it's going to be out of balance. You'll feel the vibration and just end up vibrating the mower apart particularly really the case on uh, like zero turn mowers or mowers that have multiple blades per deck. Um, you, this is the kind of thing that burns the spindles up, et cetera. So. All right. I'm just taking mine to the hardware store, Zane. <laughs> well, you know what? And nothing wrong with that, Doug. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that uh, uh, it's worth its money to just have it done. If you don't have the tools, you don't have the place to do it, take it off. Let somebody who does it every day sharpen it and get it back to you know that it was done right. Nothing wrong with that at all. Right. If you're one of those guys like me that doesn't know what side of a hammer to hold, <laughs> you go to your local hardware store and they'll do everything for you. Well, you, you've got the wherewithal to know uh, where your limits are. So I, I commend you for that. Uh, well, I want to keep going on, on turf and I want to talk about fertilization. What is your feeling about fertilization for a lawn? And I know that this is going to be different for every situation but in general what are you thinking for fertilization for uh turf you know the fertilization thing is another one a lot like the irrigation we want to give the plants just what they need and and nothing more and um you know there there are logistical pieces to turf grass fertilization that need to be considered you know the ability to give the plants just what they need and and nothing more might change the frequency with which things are done and we don't have the ability to be out there you know every three to four weeks so oftentimes we had on an air on the side of of uh you know using material that's slow release uh, to take advantage of the time that we won't be but we'll, that uh, we won't be on the property but in general if you could only fertilize one time a year the ideal time would be in the fall okay um mm. the fall is when we see there's a real the thing about the spring is those plants come out of dormancy. They put a lot of emphasis. Um, they can put more emphasis on shoot growth compared to root growth if they are over fertilized. So one of the things that we sometimes see in the spring is if people over fertilize, the plant uh, can all of a sudden start to allocate a lot of resources to putting off a lot of shoot growth and very few resources allocated towards root growth. We actually end up with a plant with a stunted root system in the middle of summer if people over fertilize. So in the spring, you might see, like for our company, um, we actually use less nitrogen in the spring. We're not trying to stimulate a bunch of, of uh, shoot growth. 
we're often trying to get your crabgrass pre-emergent out there at that time. And we're trying to put the potassium out there at that time to help the plant through drought stress periods, whatever it might be. Um, but you do have to be careful. So to come back to your question, you know, uh, fall is a great time. If you're going to only do it one time, it would be in the fall. You know, our programs are typically going to give you somewhere between four to six fertilizations per year, depending on where you're at. And that's the idea of what we would call spoon feeding. Instead of having to over apply to make up for the fact that you won't be there frequently, um, we come back and kind of spoon feed time and time and time again. And so, you know, the, the benefit of that is that we're not having to oversupply the plant and overstimulate growth because we're going to come back to that property relatively frequently and just kind of give this, this spoon feeding approach. And so, you know, um, the ideal scenario I would say would be, you know, four to five fertilizations per year, but you'll also see, depending on the material you use, you could get away with far less. And that's where I'm trying to get my lawn to is, uh, you know, uh, fall and spring fertilization. And that will be all I do. Well, I see a lot of this early in the season where people are pouring on way too much nitrogen onto their grass. Yes, they want that green, green, green grass. But as you said, that that can lead to a lot of problems. You know, that, that soft new growth. Succulent. Yeah. And, and you, then you don't want it. You don't want this stuff going into the storm sewer, you know, just use what you need, uh, you know, two pounds is recommended that doesn't mean put four pounds on to make it super green right yes more is not better yeah. uh for sure and you brought up a great thing about the storm sewer and this is something that we all need to take a close look at the reality is when you apply granular fertilizer you cannot keep it from getting on impervious surfaces i mean i don't care how good you are what kind of shrouding you might have on machines we get material that goes on impervious surfaces. And there's a real easy way to fix that is to go blow it off or sweep it off. And so, you know, as a best practice, particularly, particularly along the roadside curbing where that material, we know where it will end up. It has no other place to go but the storm sewer. When you're done, if you have a blower, go out and just blow that material up over the curb. Trust me, it hops over the curb and get it back onto the lawn. Because one of the best things we know about turf grass is they are phenomenal. If material is deposited on a turf grass stand, it doesn't leave. Um, that is, um, I mean, from an ecosystem services standpoint, the ability of turf grasses to uh, reduce sheet flow and keep stormwater, nutrients, and things on the property is one of their greatest assets. And so if you can get that fertilizer back into the turf grass canopy, it won't go anywhere. It won't make its way into our stormwater systems. And, um, you know, to your point, Doug, we're just trying to give the plants what they need. And I don't want to get lost in the weeds about rates and sources, and I could, and that is a whole nother conversation we could save for another day. Um, but again, just like the irrigation, you can put more down. And so if you overdo it, you can create a lot of problems for yourself and you might deal with those problems for the whole remainder of that season. And so just a really well-balanced, well-timed nutrition plan of kind of um, you know, a fertilization, you should see a, a small stimulation and growth and enhancement in color. And eventually that will begin to peter out. And that's when it oftentimes makes sense to come back. Now in the summer months, the, the reduction in color, the reduction in growth typically is not because nutrients are limited, right? 
it's a it's a result of the heat and the lack of water and so you know that is not a time to maybe go back out and think that fertilization is going to solve your problems when that's not the limiting factor and so you know you really you're you know, the spring and the fall are when the lawns are peaking the summer months we are in maintain mode okay summer is all about trying to maintain what you have uh, to think that you're often going to improve quality in the summer months uh, there are other resources outside of all of our control heat sunlight and water that we just simply can't control that often are the you know what ultimately influence turf grass quality all right. Well, one more thing. How about aeration? Is that something I should be doing? And what is it? Yes. Yes. So aeration is, there are different types of, of aeration. You know, the one that's going to be most common in a home lawn would be what we call hollow tine aerification, where uh, you use a machine that comes in and it pushes a probe down into the soil and ejects out a core of soil. And that has several benefits. Uh, it can improve the infiltration. So as is is water is, you know, is it we get precipitation, uh, those holes are going to create direct channels down to the soil to help water move through the soil. It's also relieving compaction. So, um, you know, you have to picture that as we begin to walk on these surfaces, we are compressing the soil. I mean, um, soil is complicated, particularly clay particles, which are these flat flake-like particles, you can start to actually compress them and create cement. And so we talked about the gate example, Doug, you know, where people can't grow grass around their gates. And I went on to the thatch piece, but really that's more related to compaction. So anytime that you get the traffic concentrated, you will see that you're compressing the soil. And one of the things about the soils where we live that have relatively higher amounts of, of finer particles like clay, is they are what are known as cohesive soils. And so a cohesive soil by definition is its, its, its ability to resist compaction is related to the soil moisture. And so uh, a cohesive soil, uh, an example of this would be like a high school football field. If you've ever been out and watched a high school football field on a nice day, they play with no issues, right? But all it takes is one game played during wet conditions and the field can be destroyed because its compaction resistance is related to soil moisture. So as the moisture goes up, it's more susceptible to compaction. And so in our home lawns and things like that, you know, I'm out in my yard every day. It doesn't matter if it rained or not. And so we are compressing the soil and compacting it. And so airification comes in and ejects out a channel and it allows that soil to begin to decompress. And, you know, if you're going to rent one of these machines as a homeowner, you know, and you have gates, maybe you run that machine over your entire yard one time. But the areas where you know that there would be compaction, high traffic, run that machine over it two, three, four times uh, okay. because, you know, those are going to receive a greater amount of, of compaction. And so, you know, the, back to your question, what does it do? It increases infiltration. It relieves compaction. It also improves gas exchange. So when you think about the soil, you know, a volume of soil is 50% soil particles. And that other 50% is pore space. And that pore space should be about half water, half air. And so um, we're just trying to improve gas exchange. And uh, there's just, there's tremendous benefits. And, you know, a lot of things about turf grass management, Doug, are, uh, these are long-term decisions. You are, 
you are making decisions for the long-term benefit of the stand. You know, fertilization is an instant, you know, you fertilize it, it grows, it gets color, but compaction, thatch, you know, over thatch production, these are silent long-term killers. And so, you know, soil modification, aerification, interseeding, so the introduction of truly superior plant material, you know, it might take five years to really modify and make a significant modification to the stand. But every year, you know, you're introducing 15% of that better plant material, another 15% the next year, another 15%. And over five years, you know, you've completely modified the composition of that turf grass stand. So, you know, this is where um, for the people listening today, you know, services like that, you are hedging your bet that, you know, over time, you know, several years of those type of things, you are truly creating a much better surface to grow plant material in. And so, you know, just because um, just because you aerified your yard one time doesn't necessarily mean that that, that, that was enough or that you're going to get all the benefit that could be there. It really is a, a long term process. So, uh, Doug, could you ever go long air, airifying your yard? No, I think it's a great it's a great tool. Is it one that I would do in the summer months? No. Um, ideal time to do it would be sometime after rainfall. So if you're going to rent one of these machines um, and it's dry, you want to irrigate the turf because you cannot get one of those tines down more than a half to an inch when the soil is really hard. And so irrigate, uh, give it a good irrigation a day or two before, and um, you know it will help to loosen the soil and you'll pull a much deeper core and you'll get more compaction relief. All right, Zane, I'm going to leave it right there. I I kept you a lot longer than I told you I was going to keep you, but I, I, this is great stuff and great information for homeowners to, to have a, a great lawn. And I just appreciate your time. We could talk, I think, for another hour about uh, turf grass. <laughs> yes, we we definitely could. And and I hope you have me back sometime. I just, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff and, and, you know, there's just so many benefits, Doug, to having a great, a great property that you're proud of. And uh, from a monetary standpoint, an emotional standpoint, it, it's all good. All right, Zane. Thanks again. Yep. Have a good day. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Next week, we have a fascinating conversation about climate change and trees with Dan Herms. I know you'll enjoy this discussion. As always, we like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer. <laughs>